the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. For those of you who read your Bible, you know what that means. All right. James chapter 5, verse 16. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Well, that's good news. It makes available much. It sounds like your prayers might get answered. If they're effective and fervent. Now, we know what effective means. What does it mean to pray effectively? Well, as a Christian, you should pray in faith. And you should know as a Christian that your faith has to be in the Word of God, so you should be praying the Word of God. Pray what the Word of God says about your situation, not what the doctor says. Pray what the Word of God says about your situation, not what the newspaper says. You know, just declare it. Even if, if, if the facts on the ground aren't backing it up, that's just temporary because the Word of God is permanent. While we look not to the things which are seen, but to the things which are not seen, which are eternal in the heavens. So we call those things which be not as though they were. we're we pray effectively. We're, we're trusting God when we speak. We're praying out God's will. And in fervent. That sounds like it's a little passionate, to, like a passion church prayer. <laughs> like you mean that stuff you just said. God not only looks, hears what you say, but he's looking at your heart when you say it. So if your heart hooks up with your mouth, and your mouth lines up with the word of God, your prayers are going to avail much. That's what James says to me. God will move heaven and earth to answer a prayer from a fervent heart. I think... A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how God stopped the rotation of the earth for, jo for Joshua. Joshua said, God, we're winning this battle, and I hate for it to get dark right now. <laughs> Could you give us more daylight? So God said, Rrrr! and they finished the battle. They finished the battle, the earth started spinning again. And, and that was due to prayer. God stopped the rotation of the earth due to prayer. And some of us scoff and says, the part where it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe those things which he saith, shall come to pass, shall have so whatsoever he saith. <sighs> we scoff at, oh, move a mountain. Well, God, stop the whole earth. But today we're going to go one step farther. What? Hezekiah prayed, and God spent the earth backwards. He stopped the rotation of the earth and spent it 10 degrees backwards as a sign because Hezekiah prayed. Today's message, by the way, is called Pour Out My Heart. Hezekiah. This young man 
His dad was King Ahaz. And he was just a total, rotten, no good, ungodly king that did everything that he could do to not follow the Lord. He set up idols all throughout Israel. And when he died, his son Hezekiah became king. But the Bible said Hezekiah was a good king. And if you've ever read through the book of First and Second Kings or First and Second Chronicles and listed all the kings, you'd, you'd recognize that there's not a lot of good kings that God talked about. But Hezekiah, despite his upbringing, and I look around at this room today and I wonder how many of you, God would say, that's, that's a good king, that's a good queen. Despite your upbringing, Despite what his dad did, he turned around, like we said, those generational curses. And he began to serve the Lord. He tore down those idols and all those things. And he said, we're going to worship the Lord. He reinstated the temple worship. He put the, the priest back in the house. And he started doing what, and he was a man after God's own heart like David. He believed God. He served God. He worshiped God. And he prayed to God. There was one time where the Assyrians were there to, to destroy Jerusalem. Five, hundreds of thousands of them out there and was trying to intimidate. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. And that night, God killed 185,000 Assyrians. They woke up the next morning with a bunch of corpses all around them and the rest of them got out of there. It's in the Bible. God answered Hezekiah's prayer. But along about that time, it says, Hezekiah grew deathly ill. And he's laying in his bed. And you've heard of the prophet Isaiah. This was the same time that Isaiah lived. Isaiah, son of Amos, came to talk to Hezekiah. God sent him. And you just know it's going to be wonderful news, right? Because Hezekiah is a man after God's own heart. And Isaiah comes in there and he says, Hezekiah, God has spoken. You shall not raise up from this deathbed. You get your affairs in order because you're about to die. And walks out. Well, that's not the kind of news I was wanting to hear. But I can just picture Hezekiah laying in his bed. And, and, he, and it says he turned his face to the wall. He rolled over in bed. He didn't want to see, he didn't want his servants to see how he felt. Probably tears in his eyes. But he not only rolled over and faced the wall, it says he prayed. And see, that's the problem with a lot of us. We get bad news, something happens, we just roll over and cry. We just roll over and face the wall. But Hezekiah rolled over. He cried. He faced the wall. But he prayed. And he said, God, would you remember that in my lifetime, everything that I've done, I've tried to serve you. I've tried to be obedient and to see your kingdom grow. And would you have mercy on me? Now, Isaiah was leaving, and he ain't even got out of the, the king's uh, front yard yet. When God said, go back. And Isaiah went back. And he said, Hezekiah, God just told me, because you prayed, 
I'm going to give you 15 more years. I'm going to give you 15 more years because I see your heart. Do you know that sometimes, maybe some of the things that happen in your life that you think are God, God might be just, just testing you. There you go. She said it's all a big test. It's all a big test. But if you have a relationship with God, that when things just dump on you and the world seems to be on your shoulders, that you don't run from God and just turn to the wall and cry, but you turn to the wall and cry out. Even though God, the prophet of God, came and said it, that should have settled it. But he called on the mercy of God. And if you've got a relationship with God and you call on the mercy of God, you can change God's mind. Moses did it. He was a friend of God. What happened with Moses? They, God said, I'm going to wipe all them guys out. We're going to start again, Moses. These, this crew is terrible. And Moses pled for the people. He said, don't do it, God. And God changed his mind. We need to learn how to pray. James says you have not because you ask not. How many things could you have in your life right now if, if you would ask God? I've talked to Christians before and they say, well, I don't like to ask God for anything. I don't feel like I'm worthy of it. I don't feel like I should ask. I only ask if it's big things. No. God cares about every area, every little small detail of your life. You need to be asking God all the time. Don't be afraid. You have not because you ask not. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 22, you can pray for anything. Anything. And if you have faith, you will receive it. Isn't that awesome? And some Christians talk more to their dog than they do to God. They got the last time they prayed was when they got saved. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to get across today. That hurts his feelings. <laughs> you know, I, there was a time I didn't know how to pray before I got saved, I, but I wanted to pray. I knew that I was supposed to pray. And, uh, I was pitching for my junior high baseball team, and I would get to the field about an hour early, have my leggings on and my uniform and everything, and I'd whip out the handy-dandy, uh, what do you call them, rosary beads that my grandmama gave me. She told me if I, for each one of these kind of beads, I'm supposed to say a Hail Mary. When I get to this one, I'm supposed to say an Our Father. Then I do ten more Hail Marys, and then I do another Our Father, and you get all the way around the chain, and then you do something else. I forget what it was. But in my thinking, my way of thinking, I, did, I didn't know God. I thought I could bargain with God. I thought if I do this, God owes me something. So how do you think I prayed? Did it come from my heart? Or was I saying, Hail Mary, for the glory of the Lord is with thee. Blessed are thou, most women, blessed are the fruit of the one, Jesus, God, pray for sinners now, now, or death, amen. And I finally got to an Our Father. Our Father, our heaven, I'll be the name of the kingdom, come, will, be done, or seven, give some better. And I was just all the way around this thing. And when I got through, I thought, for sure God's with me now. And that's the way a lot of us pray. 
I mean, we think we're, we're manipulating God. But God, does, God doesn't bargain. God responds to faith and God responds to relationship. The effectual and the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Some of us just pray out of guilt or, or just because we can't think of anything else to do. We've tried everything we know in the natural. We've, we've tried to fix the situation. We've spent all our money trying to fix the situation. Spent all our time. We can't figure it out. Well, I guess it's come to prayer. I guess we just want to pray. It's the very last thing that we do. And like she said, how, how do you think that makes God feel? Man, it... <laughs> Matthew 6, 7, Jesus says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. He knows what you need, He knows, but He just wants to hear you say it from a heart of relationship. In verse 9, but it says, pray like this. And then he gives us, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So he gives us the, our Father. I thought you said don't pray that. I didn't say don't pray that. I, don't, I didn't say don't pray the Our Father. I think the Our Father is a good prayer if we're all praying together or something we can join in. But don't pray it mindlessly and babble on and on like the Gentiles do, like the unbelievers, like the heathens. I, I believe that the Lord gave us the Our Father is more like an outline to prayer. You want to know how I pray the Our Father in the mornings? I use it as an outline to help me uh, release what's in my heart. Our Father which art in heaven. And then I'll say, oh, that's cool. You're my dad. Not just my dad, but you're our dad. And you're in heaven. Awesome. Hallowed be thy name. Blessed be your name. Holy is your name. Jesus, the name above. And I'll get stirred up on this outline. And before it's over, I'm praying to, to ask God to forgive me so that I can forgive others and for what I need in my daily thing and, and lead me not into temptation and all those things. All those things need to be prayed out, but not just babbled out. You see the difference? If your heart is not connecting in the prayer then you're really not praying, you're just babbling. People go to great lengths to appear to be intimate with God. Such great lengths, I'm like, why don't you just use those great lengths to actually be intimate with God? John Bunyan, the author of a book called The Pilgrim's Progress, spent 12 years in prison because he refused to use the book of common prayer in his church. Believing such pre-written prayers were unbiblical insofar as they were used as a substitute for people's own prayers from the heart. In prayer, said Bunyan, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. God would rather you just sit there and meditate and say, I'm just going to sit here before you, God. Maybe, maybe my heart's so worn out and beat down and I'm going through so much, I'm just going to sit here for a moment, God, in your presence. 
and not say any words, but your heart be hooked up. And you just babble on and on and on, reading somebody else's prayers. Not, not the Bible, but some other book. Some, and, and by the way, those ten Hail Marys were praying to Mary. They weren't praying to God in the first place. So just throw that in there. Jesus poured out his heart to God. If, if we were only supposed to say the Our Father, then when Jesus prayed in John 17, then he was being unscriptural. In John 17, he said he was being honest. We get a glimpse into God, God praying to God. If you've never read John 17, it's one of the most amazing passages in all of Scripture. It's a, it's a whole chapter of Jesus giving us a glimpse into his prayer life with the Father. And he says things like, Father, let them be one as you and I are one. Lord, let them see my glory that you gave me before the world began. Lord, I want them to be with me where I am. Jesus, I want you to not to deliver them out of the world, but I want you to protect them in the world. Jesus said, I want you to know, I want you to show them, Father, that you love them as much as you love me. And he was just laying it out. In uh, Luke 5, 16, it says, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. He went to be alone. He didn't want the distractions. He valued his time alone with the Father. And Jesus tells us the same. He says, when you go into your prayer closet, when you pray, he, he assumes we are going to pray, right? What kind of relationship can you have with anybody without any communication, Right? You've heard it said that prayer is just talking to God. And that's partly true. But I would add that prayer is not just a monologue. It's a dialogue. It's not just you laying out your laundry list of wants. But it's a communication. And it would just make sense to me that the the smarter of the two would do the more talking. <laughs> just... Maybe we would benefit more listening than doing all the talking. I don't know, just, just a thought. But how do you connect with people that you're closest to? Well, you during the day, you may text them or give them a call. or You may get with them that afternoon. Y'all may go do something together. You may spend all night talking with one another. Communicating, right? It's not an odd or an awkward thing to communicate with somebody who's close to you. It doesn't feel weird, does it? It'd be strange if I had a communication with my friend Kaylee here. And I said, Dearest Kaylee, I beseech thee that thou mightest hear me as I, as I, that's already starting out weird, isn't it? I appreciate that you read the King James Bible, but you know, if you have to break into your King James English to pray, relax a little bit, right? 
We seriously need to work on our intimacy with God. And somebody may be sitting there thinking to themselves, oh my goodness, here we are. We're another teaching on prayer. He's just going to tell us how to pray. What's more important? I mean, I asked God, I said, God, is this a, is this a, a weak message? Is this just a... He's like, are you kidding me? I long to hear from my children. This is the most important thing to me. This is why I died on the cross. So that we could come back into an intimate relationship. And there would be no separation between us. I didn't die on the cross for you to recite ten Hail Marys to me. So that we could be one. As me and the Father are one. And I could show you that we love you as, as the, I, the Father loves you as much as He loves me. That I want to be with you. And I, I love you. And prayer shouldn't be something that we used to do. Well, back when I got saved, me and God was really tight. You know, for a couple of years there, I prayed all the time, but I just kind of backed off, you know. Well, what happens in a marriage when people stop talking? It, it ain't good, is it? Well, I had children and I just don't have time to pray anymore. Well, families have children and uh, they begin to focus on the children and they, they lose their relationship as a husband and a wife if they're not careful. Prayer needs to be something that's part of your everyday life that you fight for, that you refuse to let go of, your intimacy with God. You know you have a constant inner dialogue anyway. Don't, don't act like you don't. You know when you're doing the laundry by yourself, you're in there talking to yourself, singing songs to yourself. Well, I just say, why don't we re-angle our conversation instead of being up here, why don't we angle it down to here where God lives on the inside of us? Instead of talking to yourself, why don't you talk to God within you? Is that a new thought to anybody or... Many people just say, well, God don't answer my prayers. Of course he does. He answers your prayers, but he's not like a magic wish machine. His answer may be no. His answer may be, hold on. I'm in the process of getting that done, but we want it right now. Some of us have prayed and Things didn't work out the way we wanted and we, we got mad at God. But I'm telling you, He's not there to serve us. We're there to serve Him. He's God. He determines. He has the final call. And the ultimate goal of prayer is not just to get. It's to get to know. The ultimate prayer is not to get, but to get to know. And what we get to know is, is that He has our best interest at heart. And they're all things that He works together for our good. And if we don't get it the way we want it, we're still going to get it the way He wants us to get it. And that's what's best for us. 
And so that we can trust him whether we're getting it the way we want it or not. I often say, how many times would you have been married and divorced in the third grade if you got all your prayers answered? Lord, please let Becky want to go out with me. Lord, please, you know, she's so pretty. Can I have her, Lord? You know, I mean, let's be honest. We don't want all our prayers answered. We want somebody who's got a little more, I was going to say sense, but who has a little more foreknowledge, who sees yesterday, today, and tomorrow all the same, who, who's got a bigger vision than we do. He knows what we need better than we know what we need. What we learn is when we go to Him, we learn to pray according to His will and begin to trust. 1 John 5.14 says, We're confident that He hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases Him. And since we know He hears us when we make our request, we also know that He will give us what we ask for when we pray according to His will. And God even helps us pray. That's the part I like. Romans 8.26 says, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. An ambulance comes by. You're like, hmm, uh, Lord bless them, whatever's going on there. But maybe God's like, I need an intercessor right now. I need somebody to really pray this out. But we don't know what's going on in the ambulance. But it says, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Praying in an unknown language. Praying in the Spirit. Now, I know some people don't understand that. They think it's, it's strange, it's a spiritual thing, and they, their mind can't get around it. And some people say, but, but if you pray in an unknown language, aren't you supposed to have to interpret? Because that's what it says in 1 Corinthians 14. No, it says in 1 Corinthians 14, if you pray in an unknown language from the pulpit, you know, in church, when you're preaching. then See, there, I want you to understand there's a difference in the gift of tongues and interpretation, which is a gift given for a certain time, for a certain thing, for a certain reason, and that God wants to be interpreted for everybody to hear, there's a difference in the gift of tongues and interpretation and the gift of your private prayer language. So when you hear people praying in an unknown tongue or whatever, they don't have to interpret their prayer for you or for anybody else. They're praying in the Spirit. Doesn't it say right here that uh, the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in, a, in words? There's a difference. 1 Corinthians 14, 15 says, Well then, what shall I do? I will pray in the Spirit and I will pray in words. I understand. So if that weren't true, if what I'm saying is not true, why would you pray in the Spirit and then pray in words that you understand? The first prayer in the Spirit must be in words that you can not understand. It must bypass your head and be directly from your heart words that the Holy Spirit gives you. You have to provide the utterance, you have to say it, but it's the Holy Spirit providing the words, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are saying, I wish he wouldn't talk about these things. And you can... Go on and wish that we'd be a carnal church as much as you want. But the truth is, we're going to follow the Bible. 
I will pray in the Spirit, and I will also pray in words that I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand. See, I'll do both. And you will never be able to pray without ceasing without the supplication of the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians 5, 16, it says pray without ceasing, 17, right? And I used to try that. Before I got filled with the Holy Spirit and got my private prayer language, I would be driving to work and I'd say, Lord, uh, thank you for today. Thank you for my family. Thank you for, this is the things that I need. Lord, help so-and-so. And about six minutes later, I'd be out of things to say. But once I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and God gave me utterance. God gave me a, a eternal, mm, like water, like a, a well springing up of everlasting life in, in my belly. Now I can pray unending in the Spirit. So I can, I can start out in the natural if I want to and go to the Spirit or vice versa, whichever one. But when I, my natural mind runs out of things to pray, the Spirit begins to take over. And I remember it used to be a 30-minute drive to work. And after that six minutes, I'm still going. And I would pray things out in the Spirit. And it would trigger things. And an interpretation of some, somewhat would be rising up into my mind. And then I would pray that out. And I'd pray more in the Spirit and spark and other things. And I would pray and pray. And I'd be praying for you and you and you and, and everything in the world. That my natural mind wasn't thinking about. But God would be using me in a mighty way to pray out things in the Spirit. 30 minutes I get to work and, and uh, I'm still praying. And then when I get to my desk, I'm still praying. And I've, I learned how do you pray without ceasing. You just don't say amen. You just stop saying amen and you start saying more, oh, by the way. <laughs> really? Some of us say amen and I'm going to talk to you again when it's supper time, you know. God is good, God is great, let us thank him for this plate. Whatever we say, amen. But don't say amen unless you're, amen isn't the end of the prayer. That just means so be what you just said. Amen. Continue on. Amen. Continue on. You just keep praying. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, always be joyful. Well, how do you? That's not possible either. You can't pray without ceasing, and you can't always be joyful. Or can you? Isn't in the presence of God fullness of joy? Always be joyful. How do we how do we always be joyful? The next line says, never stop praying. There's your answer. You say, I don't have any joy in my life. Well, you're not praying. In the presence of God is fullness of joy. If you keep the prayer line of communication open, you will always have joy. God is your comforter. When you're sitting in his presence, he's got it. He's got you. There's nothing that can come against you and knock you off your center. Man, I'm full of joy. God is with me. I'm praying all the time. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Prayer is such an emotional release. I'm telling you, you would just feel better. 
to have somebody to tell your stuff to. You've been telling it to yourself. You've been rehearsing it in your mind. How, how about we stop rehearsing all our problems in our mind and start uh, confessing to God and, and start rehearsing back what he said about our situation and talking to him. He'll make you feel good about it. And you, we'll be emotionally stable. He just brings balance. He's just like having, he's like having a, um, a comforter. Isn't that what the Holy Spirit's called? If we re-angle our inner dialogue from just rehearsing it in our mind to speaking with the, with the Holy Spirit that is already in our heart, our comforter, then we'll be able to always be joyful, always be an overcomer, keeping that line of communication over, open. Isn't that what David did? I mean, read the Psalms, really. <laughs> David, he poured out his heart to the Lord. He, he told it like he felt it. Some of the Psalms are not, man, it's like, David, you can't say that to God. God, that's not, uh, David, that's not right. God's going to strike you down. <laughs> there was one time when I was first saved and God didn't answer some prayer the way I thought he was, and I was listening to all this teaching about God's supposed to do what I say, you know. <laughs> and he didn't answer my, and I yelled at God. I was in my car alone. I beat on the steering wheel, and I let God know how I feel, and he didn't strike me down or nothing. He's big enough to handle it. He knew I was just a little whiny baby. He knew I didn't know any better. But he was, I bet he was grateful that I was at least expressing myself to him so that he could begin to correct me. There was one time that I had a, some people over my house. This was a little bit after that. I should have known better. But I was trying to be cavalier, you know. They asked me to pray over the food. And I was going to show them how much I knew God because me and God was so tight, you know. I said, Dad, I guess you know my friends here. And I started out my prayer like that and people... They had their eyes closed now. <laughs> I've often regretted saying that. But look, you'll learn to be respectful for after all, he is God, right? You'll learn how to be respectful to God and not be too nonchalant or, or be too angry. Even today, sometimes I get up here praying when y'all are not here, and I hope you're not. Nobody's looking back at the old videos, but uh, because of the security camera. But <clears throat> I get a little emotional, and I express myself. But when I raise my voice and stuff, I always go back and say, "God, I hope I hope you understand. I wouldn't say I wouldn't get mad at you. I was just getting mad, you know." But but isn't that what you do when you're close to someone? You can express yourself. You just make sure that you just don't cross the line. And if you do, you say you're sorry. But I can be real with God. Can you? You can. You can. If you're not being real with God right now in your own prayer life, I, I bequest and beseech you. <laughs> you know, no, I... I when you develop an honest... A consistent and transparent relationship with anyone, then you have something. And when you have that with God, you have everything. You have everything. You know, David, that's what David had. 
He had an honest and transparent relationship with God. And God said, you're a man after my own heart. Now, the, the king that preceded David was King Saul. What did King Saul do differently than David? Why did he lose the throne? Because he wouldn't talk to God personally. He wanted to go through a priest. Samuel, can you come tell me what God said? Oh, we can't do the sacrifices because Samuel's not here yet. We got to wait for Samuel. And then when Samuel died, he went to conjure Samuel's spirit up. He's still not praying to God. And he was not a man after God's own heart. God had to take him out of, out of his kingship and give it to a man who would pray, to a man who would listen, to a man who would be reasonable and, and, and honest and transparent and consistent with God. I thought about the traits of a good friend. I was thinking, this is all this is, is just developing your friendship with God. And I started writing down the traits that I see in a good friend, and I realized that all these things describe God. This is what God is, a good friend. A good friend is a good listener. A good friend, he's always there. He's trustworthy, honest, dependable, supportive. A good friend is comforting, will do anything for you. A good friend is enjoyable. Do you agree? Or do you sound like a, this kind of, kind of friend you want? A good friend will make you smile. And that's, that's who God is to me. And I thought to myself, if I could just tell the people today, why don't we try to be a good friend to God? Why don't we try to be that back to God? And, and hold up our end of the friendship. Why don't we be a good listener? Always there, trustworthy, honest, dependable, supportive, comforting. Would do anything for God. Be enjoyable and make God smile. Is your prayer life even enjoyable at all? Or do you dread it? If you dread your prayer life, if you avoid your, your prayer life, it's because you've made it unenjoyable. And you're doing it for the wrong reasons, to manipulate or out of desperation. You have not developed your relationship with God to the point where it's enjoyable. It says Jesus often withdrew because he wanted to spend time with God. And that's the way we should be. Psalm 68, uh, 62.8 says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Selah is a word I had to look up, and I think somebody described it to me a long time ago. It's just a word that they use in the Psalms a lot that means pause and think on this. Stop for a moment and think on what I just said. Trust Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him because God is a refuge. A refuge is a place you run to for safety. And who doesn't need that in this crazy world? God wants to talk to you. I know that's mind-boggling. I know it's, it's so mind-boggling that it's almost like we don't believe it. God wants to talk to you. Close your eyes for a moment.
I want you to say this. God wants to talk to me. Just say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Say it and say it. I want you to say it all week. I want you to say it all week until, you, until it becomes a reality in your heart. God wants to talk to you. You. Yes, you. I know, I know. It's mind-boggling. It's me. Yes. But God wants to talk to you. And that's what I came to tell you today. Can we just be real with God? He already knows. He knows what you're going to ask before you say it, but yet He wants to hear it. He wants to see if you'll believe Him for it. He knows your heart and your situation and what you've done, but yet He wants to talk to you. He wants to help straighten you out. He wants to bless you. He wants you to always have joy. And I promise you that. I promise you. He wants to talk to you. I'm going to give you the gospel message real quick. There's power in the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all that believe. It's power. In the gospel. And the gospel is simply this. That we've all sinned and fallen short of the glorious standards of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. None of us. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall never perish but have everlasting life. Romans says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we got cleaned up. But while we were yet sinners. Because He wants to talk to you. He wants to call you my child. He wants to heal your boo-boos. <laughs> he wants you to see the truth so that you can begin to get set free. He was on that cross receiving those insults, feeling your pain, having all the, the wrath of God on Him because of our sin. But he endured it until it was finished. Until he paid the sin debt. And now in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says he's not up there holding your sins against you. The only thing that separates us from God now is that we won't come to him. And we refuse so great a gift. And today he's offering you the gift of salvation. If you are out there today and you maybe you've prayed. Maybe you've called on God. Maybe you got mad at God in the past. You don't understand God. 
you're like me, you might as well be praying rosary beads and stuff. You don't, you don't really have a personal relationship with God. And you're unsure if you died right now, whether you'd go to heaven or hell. If you don't know, you need to know. He doesn't want you to go another day without knowing whether you'll spend eternity in heaven or hell. and Without knowing Him. And if you know Him, you know that you're going to be with Him. But if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, then you're still dead in your sins and trespasses because you simply haven't reached out and received the free gift that He offers. And He'll not force it on you. So today I ask you, if you're wondering, you're afraid, you're basing whether you go to heaven on whether you're good enough or not, look, you're not. You're not. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The first time you stole a cookie, you were disqualified. You were born disqualified with the sinful blood of Adam coursing through your veins. But that's why Jesus came. To die on the cross in your stead. To take your penalty. And He was looking forward to the day that you would say, Jesus, would you be my Lord? Because it says in Romans 10 that if you'll confess Him as your Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, that you'll be saved. For with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. And with the heart, man believes into a right standing with God. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.